got overachievers, they're really concerned with um, nobody but what they think. Nobody tells Oprah Winfrey what to do, right? Nobody tells Matthew McConaughey what to do. They just do what they do because that's what they do. And nobody really has an effect on them. They could care less how they affect other people. But I think most people do care. Hey, it's Allison. You are in for a real thought-provoking conversation today as I've got David Richman on. I wanted to give you a quick life update as I've been more sporadic with this podcast lately, which kind of drives me nuts, but there's some reasons for it. As you may know, I have a second podcast called The Podcaster's Journey, which has been my primary focus in the podcast world and has been so fun. Have you listened yet? It's lighthearted, the episodes are short, and everyone is packed with insight on how to be a better podcaster. I'm also unfolding my own journey in building that podcast in real time. So there are plenty of failures and insights too. And I interview the top 200 podcasters in the world. It's been fun. It's been creative on how to hook people in the first 30 seconds. However, culture changers, this podcast, this podcast is my heart and soul. This is where I get to have the conversations with thought leaders who are doing things differently creating new pathways and possibilities, and inviting you to spark your own path. At least that's my hope. And I'm booking some incredible guests for this show, really, really big guests. And so please make sure you stay subscribed. I know I'm breaking a little bit of protocol to not publish on as much of a regular basis, but please know that these episodes will only get better. And I absolutely cherish your earballs and loyalty to being inspired by this show. Now, I got a chance to interview author and ultramarathoner David Richman. He has taken on such an interesting take on the emotional journey through cancer and interviewed 15 different people who were going through it in all walks of life and wrote an incredible book called Cycle of Lives. Through the untimely death of his own sister, it sparked his own life as someone who was overweight, unhappy in a miserable relationship and a smoker to become an ultra marathon where he cycled across the entire country. And he has had so many impressive feats, really changed his life around, but has sparked so many others as well in the process. His life and his work is so deep and complex and really speaks to what happens when your life gets thwarted unexpectedly. Do you go up or do you go down? For me, this particular episode is really important and personal. Important because we're all touched by cancer or sickness or loss or grief at some point in our lives. And as someone who feels like grief is a natural part of life and should be normalized instead of swept under the rug to make, frankly, other people feel comfortable when you might really need somebody at some time, at some point. So I was drawn to his story. As you may know, My mother is suffering from stage four terminal cancer, and I took some time off of work earlier this year to care for her, and I learned so much already, not necessarily about cancer or dying, but about life and life's purpose. My mother, her body is in pain most of the time. It's really tough to watch, but her spirit is so unbelievably intact. She comes alive when we are around her, when we call her. My mother 
is fighting for her spirit and fighting to stay with us as long as she can. I'm honored to witness her most beautiful journey right now. She's so strong and is really cherishing the moments. So it's it's been wild. It's been such a surreal experience to go through this with her and really kind of support her as best we can um, through the twists and turns of it all. And we are planning to take her to the Biltmore in Asheville. And as long as her body and energy can stay up, we're going to try and check off some bucket list stuff for with her. So please stay tuned to my socials for updates on it. Um, it's it's real stuff, you know, we, we all go through it. In other news, I've started a new job. I've been in technology sales for the better part of 15 years, and it's been exciting to learn a new industry and navigate success in a new place. But you know what? This is getting too long. If you want to get more life updates, I really do have a ton of stuff going on. Subscribe to my newsletter at allisonhair.com and follow me Follow me on Instagram at uh, allison underscore underscore hair. Okay, let's get to David Richman. What I am particularly interested in, I think mm-hmm. as a nation, as a culture, we don't know how to handle grief. And you have taken it upon yourself to really take that on. And uh, I, I'm so happy to welcome you to Culture Changers podcast and would love to to find out more. Tell me, where did this begin, David? Thank you for being sure. here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really uh, glad to be here, Allison. Um, yeah, so where did it start? Um, you know, with this particular concept um, started about 15, no, about 18 years ago. So I just had this idea that um, most people don't like look within to solve their problems, to 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 look for growth. I, I came from a school of thought where like you work harder because you want to make your boss happy or you do this because you want to be a good husband or a good father. Or you think you need to be a good child or whatever, and you kind of don't do things for yourself. And I started... Um, you know, I kind of uh, wrote, wrote this first book, th- this other book that I wrote was a book based on this like middle of the pack theory where, you know, when you got overachievers, they're really concerned with um, nobody but what they think. Nobody tells Oprah Winfrey what to do, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody tells Matthew McConaughey what to do. They just do what they do because that's what they do. And nobody really has an effect on them. They could care less how they affect other people. But I think most people do care. And we kind of maybe lose what's important to us along the way because we're so worried about other people. So it kind of made me start to really look inside and say what's important to me. And at that time, um, my sister called me up and told me that she had terminal brain cancer. Mm. And uh, obviously, we went through a lot together with that. She had a husband, two young kids. Um, my I had two of uh, my twins at that time were about five, four or five, and I was going through a divorce. We just had all this stuff going on. And um, when she did finally um, die, which was only a few years later, um, at least she got a few more years though, um, I noticed that people were really good about talking about the tasks of their cancer. How do I get treatment? How do I navigate work? 
how, how can I lean on my friends for meals? What's the insurance world like? How do I try to get better care? How do I get on a board study? Like these tasks they could handle. But when it came to the emotional side, they couldn't deal with it. They didn't talk about it. They didn't, or if they, if they did deal with it, they didn't vocalize it. They don't know how to talk to people that are going through difficult things and trauma. And I really noticed that on a very, very regular basis, everybody that I talked to kind of had that one underlying current, which is that whole like, couldn't deal with the emotional facet of the trauma. And that was the genesis of the whole project is me so, trying to figure out how, how to get people to navigate that, you know, that so, aspect of it. Yeah. My mother is, she has stage four cancer. It is terminal, mm -hmm. uh, right now. And I, um, was able to take off six weeks of work to care for her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I really take a lot of, of, care and concern over not shying away from the difficult conversations. And I found myself trying to protect others from their comfort, you know, of um, why aren't you at work? Why are you taking, you know, well, my mom is really sick, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, well, I hope she feels better. And it, it's not that, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's a really interesting way where I was kind of checking myself of, you know, what, why am I trying to protect them? And they don't know how to feel or you know take care of me mm -hmm. you know like and 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 of course my mother um who is going through this so you ended up writing a book called yeah. cycle of lives and you profiled 15 different mm -hmm. people covering of old young different types of cancer yep what did you learn from this experience of of dialing into these people's lives and being able to share their experience with them. Yeah, I, I learned a lot, Allison, but what you just said is kind of the genesis for the whole project. It's, it's that whole, like when I would get on the phone with my sister, right? Um, she'd call me up and I say, Hey, how you doing June? And it's like, mm, she's dying of cancer. How, how do you think she's doing? Right. And I yeah. felt like such an idiot for asking that question. And sometimes I would say it like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be asking you that. And she's like, no, you can ask me. It's all right, you know, whatever. But we just don't know how to deal with that. So you probably are protecting your friends or your coworkers or other family members or whatever, because you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Or you don't mm -hmm. want, you don't want to make them feel guilty or you don't I don't want to be a buzzkill either. You don't want to be you a buzzkill. You don't want to burden them with your problems. Maybe you're trying to respect the fact that your mom might want some type of insulation from people nosing around and I mean, there could be a million things that are causing right. you to not talk about it or exclude people from it, which sometimes is the right thing to do. But, um, so, so that kind of, that was the number one major lesson that I learned in answering your question is um, that you have to figure out a way to talk to people. Now, that sounds easy, but it's really, really difficult because what I found through this experience is that people's traumas that, that they bring to their cancer experience, um, abandonment, suicide of a loved one, um, a drug addiction, uh, abuse, taking a bad turn in life, being dealt to bad, bad cards in life, whatever, these traumas really affect how the way that people deal with the emotional side of trauma. So what I did was I said, um, 
Uh, point A is when you encountered cancer. Okay. So with each person, if it was a doctor, it was, you know, when they went to the hospital on their eighth grade field trip and said, oh my God, I want to be a doctor, right? Or if it was a, 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 an adult who, whose spouse got cancer. So point A was when they encountered cancer. Point B is today. So that journey from point A to point B, I wanted to put that into perspective to the emotional traumas that took place before point A. Hmm. So in other words, um, just a very simple example that comes to mind. One person that I profiled and we got really deep into her story is a 40 year oncologist at NYU. And we talked about kind of her emotional journey of dealing with um, a 40 year career and how she handles patients now versus how she handled them 40 years ago and what's important to her and whatever. But I, I think it, her story is so much more powerful because it's framed around the trauma of when she was a little girl, her dad just one day up and never came home. Never called, never wrote, never came home. Mom wouldn't let anybody talk about it. One day he was there, the next day gone, right? And so I think when you, when you get into somebody's life and you realize, oh, you know what? Maybe my doctor's going through things. Maybe it'll teach me how to be a better patient or I, I love it when I get a review from a caregiver who says, oh, I've been a critical care nurse for 15 years. This book taught me how to talk better to patients, right? So I think it, it, it's not just understanding what people are going through, Allison. It's understanding what they've already gone through and being learning to be okay, asking questions and being a heart-centered, active listener. It's allowing yourself to be stupid. It's a, it's understanding that if somebody says, I don't want to talk about it, maybe that's the exact opposite of what they want. You know, mm. sometimes if they want to talk about it, you can maybe help direct the, the conversation to maybe, you know, you know how it is. You ask somebody what's going on and they're like, Oh, X, Y, Z is bothering me. Really? It's ABC that's bothering them, right? You just got to get there. And so that's what I am hoping by telling these stories that that's what the book's going to help people do. So is your mission to really treat the whole person? Like, who are you serving? Is it the person that's going through cancer mm -hmm. or going through some type of grief? Or is it the people around them of how to, you know, it is culture changing in a way because the culture yeah. really is, you know, like I, I was thinking about you, David, and I'm thinking, my goodness, you lost your, your sister somebody that is part of who you are part of your mm -hmm. past and and your family and uh and this awful tragic experience mm -hmm. and you dive head first into this with 15 other lives and have dedicated your life into mm -hmm. uh something that is intensely painful and ugly and hurt right. you know uh, right. can be ugly can be beautiful mm -hmm. but you know what what makes you go head first into this and say, yeah, this is where I'm going. I'm going to change things. What is what what's going through your head, David? <laughs> okay, so I, so I'll tell you is what I thought is that I didn't know how to talk, talk to people, right? And people didn't know how to talk to me. And uh, look, uh, I, I didn't need anybody to try to make me feel better. I just mm -hmm. what, what do we all want? We all just want to know that people care. We all mm -hmm. want to be safe, right? We all want to be safe. 
and we want to know that people care, right? That, that's really, even if it's only one person, we, we want to know that we're safe to be ourselves. and that You matter. And that there's somebody out there that, yes, that you matter, that somebody cares about you, right? It can be a lonely place when you're navigating traumatic things to not have a safe place or to not allow people to care. And so the common thread with every single person that I talked to, there was two common threads, but the main common thread was they hadn't processed the emotions of their cancer they, or of the person that they were engaged with or their patients over 40 years. When I spoke to this oncologist, I said to her, I go, so listen, I need to ask you if I can go super deep into your experience. And she goes, yeah, sure, absolutely. And I go, okay, well, I got to ask you questions that you don't talk to your husband about. And she goes, yeah, we don't really talk about our work that much, at least, you know, not, not really. And I go, okay, well, I got to ask you stuff that you don't at, uh, talk to your peers about. She goes, I'm a woman doctor. You think I could talk about weakness with my peers? Are you kidding me? And I said, well, then not with your friends. And she goes, nah, my friends, we go on hikes, we do trips, we drink wine. We, we don't really talk about our problems. I go, well, in 40 years of dealing with giving, you know, how many diagnoses of of cancer, breast cancer, you're gonna live, you're not gonna live, here's your treatment, blah, blah, blah. All that emotional issue, who, who have you talked to about it? She goes, besides you? And I went, oh my goodness. Wow. No, so that's the common theme is that, is that even if people process it, they don't have a safe, caring place to talk about it. And so what mm. I tried to do with this is to bring these stories, I'm, I'm taken out of the story so that, so that stories are told from their, each person's perspective. But I thought, and Allison, it's told from first person. You're not yes. sharing their story. That's them sharing their. It's story. them sharing their story. Yeah. So, um, which was really difficult, as you could imagine, um, trying to get into people's head. And then when I sent them their story, you know, that's them talking. I wrote mm -hmm. it. It's them. It's it's in their head. It's it's their emotions. It's how they process stuff. Um, you know, I, luckily I got it mostly right. But it's a pretty scary experience, right? But I thought to myself, Allison, if I get people of all different ages, all different types of cancer, you know, one and done, or it defines their life, um, and then a wide range of emotions. So people that feel guilty about their cancer, people that feel sad about it, people that are angry, um, people that are um, unemotional about it, you know, uh, in denial. Um, even one person, if you can imagine this, Allison, that, uh, was told she had brain cancer and it was the happiest thing she had heard. What? And so I know it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. Maybe not in her life, but at that time she couldn't have heard anything better. And, um, so I can we go to... back and, and figure <laughs> out why can you, can yeah, you explain I can tell, that? I, I could tell that story for sure. Um, but I thought if I just to finish that train, that if I got all of these different perspectives and I brought these very interesting and evocative and just really touching and moving and relevant stories, if I brought them correctly, because it took a long time to find the right people. If I could bring the stories correctly, then people could put down the, the story and go, oh my gosh, um, now I know how to better deal with my grandmother or I know how mm. to better deal with my sister or I know how to better deal with somebody at work or I know how to handle myself better and how I relate to people. And, you know, it's a pretty lofty goal, but I, 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 that was the goal of it. 
So can we go back to that story? Yeah. <laughs> How is it? You know, I, I think uh. that there is a lot of beauty that can come at the end of somebody's life or when mm. facing something so that can be terminal of, of really yeah. reassessing what's important, what's not important. And I, I am still uh, curious about how, how do you find the beauty when in there's that. so much pain and yeah. so much um, fear? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's one thing when you go, oh, you know what, this is really hard and I can understand that. Until you do it, like you, you don't know. Right? You, don't, you don't know how hard something is until you do it. You just don't know. You can hope, you could imagine or whatever. And I kind of equate that to, you know, it's easy to say, oh, everybody's going through something or you never know what people are going through. But until you really, really know what somebody's going through, until you really feel it and experience it, then... You, you can't you can't really understand the magic or the beauty behind something like that and it's not beautiful right but there is some touching human side behind that story and you know anybody that will read the book Allison I'm gonna spoiler alert on this one of the 15 stories but it's a really it's a good story and it taught me so much because here's a woman who found the love of her life they were married for 25 years and they had uh, gone through um, some ups and downs, mostly ups. Um, they did have a big down. They lost a, an 18 month old to mm. a very shocking and traumatic event. Um, uh, uh, they had, a, she, she lost, a, she had all boys. She lost her 18 month old baby girl. And then at a very late age, she got pregnant again with, um, with another girl. And it was like her little angel had come come back. And so through through that kind of tragedy, she was able to continue to build her family, build her life, continue with her husband. So uh, unfortunately, um, she went through a period where she um, wasn't becoming a very nice person. And the stresses of her life were getting down on her. And she was just going through these crazy bouts of anger and not I'm not gonna say violence but close to violence and she couldn't control herself and the fights that her and her husband got into started to become so much that they were thinking about tossing it away after 25 years and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and finally in a, just a fit of rage they had like a 12-hour fight and it just was everything, and it made no coherent sense to the husband. It was just a 12-hour scream fest about nonsense. And at the end of it, her mask came off, and she said, you know what? I, I've gone crazy. I'm, 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 I'm insane. Like, I'm, I've lost my mind. You're going to have to commit me. Can you imagine coming to that kind of conclusion? No, that that's intense it's so intense and it just, it, it like gets me emotional just thinking about it, that here's this woman that had this beautiful life and overcame such tragedy and it did so much good in the community and all this stuff. And she comes to the realization that she's lost her mind and she asked her husband to commit her. Imagine what that would take to leave your kids behind and mm. ask your husband to commit you to a mental institution. That type of, I mean, that's as raw as real life could get 
she gets committed and the husband gets a call the next day at three in the morning saying, you need to come down here immediately. We're putting together a team. We've just found a grapefruit sized tumor in your wife's brain. Wow. And when, sorry, it's a little emotional, but when he goes to see her and he has to tell her this, he tells her, this is a very bad thing that's going to happen. And I need to let you know that they got a William to surgery and you might not make it. And she said, what? And he said, you have a brain tumor the size of a grapefruit in your head. And they don't know if they can take it all out, but it's pretty serious. And she smiled and she said, so I'm not crazy. Right? So you never oh my know. Goodness. So when you say something like, uh, how can anybody be happy hearing something like that? Well, no, it's not happy. And it's not, it's not lighthearted. It's not that kind of a thing. But uh, could you imagine how you could say, before we just had this conversation, could you imagine how somebody being told that they have brain cancer and they need to be willed into surgery and they might not make it could put a smile on their face. Mm. You don't, you couldn't, you couldn't ever imagine, but knowing this story now you can imagine it. And that I think will make you believe a little bit more that people are going through things that maybe we don't know about. Maybe we have no clue, right? And give them the safety and the freedom to be able to feel what they want to feel and a, and a safe space to be able to talk about it and for, for, for you to care enough to listen. Imagine, imagine how, you know, wherever she is now, right? Wherever she is, and, um, you know, she died shortly after. Imagine knowing that that story is being told, what a positive effect it could have on people. That's, mm. you know, that's got, that's gotta be a good thing, right? It seems like empathy is at the core of everything that you're doing, of, of really being able to understand that there is so much more um, mm -hmm. than, you know, I don't want any negativity. Let's just keep moving on. And yeah. I, I wonder from your own perspective, so your, your sister passed away 18 years ago. Is that right? Mm -hmm. uh, 2007, so 14 years ago. I can't do math very well, but that sounds right. So 14, <laughs> 14 years, 14 years yeah. ago. And so yeah. this, um, this book was released just in October. Oh my goodness. So just yeah. in October. So this has been a journey for you. I imagine going through these experiences, very different experiences than you, mm -hmm. how has it really contributed to your healing? What has that been like for you? Uh, well, that was the other aspect of the, of the book and the project was I, so I, I said to myself, can we connect people in a meaningful way through storytelling? Right. And that's a pretty, I look at humans love stories, right? We we're, we're that that's from the beginning of time. We tell stories. That's what we do. And what a story is supposed to do evoke emotion, right? Mm -hmm. If the story is not interesting, if it's not evoking any emotion, anybody could care less. Right. So these meaningful stories that evoke emotion. And I thought that's what connects us. Then I kind of got like, um, literal, what else would connect us if, if I got on my bicycle and I biked 5,000 miles up and down the country, I did it in only six weeks. So I had to really book every day about a hundred, 110 miles a day. 
but then I would visit as many of the book participants as I could along that ride to connect them, right? Connect them because I most of them I hadn't met in person. I've only been talking to them on the phone for two or three years. Um, so I could connect them. And then all the people that I would meet along the way, right? That would connect us all. So I figured like, oh, okay, it's metaphorical and it's also literal connecting. And um, so on that bike ride, Allison, that's kind of where I started to face that question of how do I process it all? And how do I feel about it? And what are the emotions that I'm going through? And how does that, how has that been impacted by these stories? And um, how's it impacted by the people I met along the way? It was, it was, it was a pretty enlightening journey. So you went across country mm -hmm. on your bike, yep. 150 miles a day. You are, um, uh, an ultra athlete. What do they call it? A marathon? Uh, what do they call I think it? They call it a moron. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, anything. I guess anything more than a couple hours a day is considered like a endurance athlete. Endurance athlete. That's a better yeah. word for it. Yeah. You've done like 15, something, a bunch of 24 hour rides, but you were not cars. an athlete. You were not an you... athlete before you were a smoker. You were overweight. Yep. yep. Where did this, where did the cycle come in? So that's when it came in, when I kind of started to think about, Hey, I'd always done stuff because I thought I needed to be a certain way, right? And so until you know- What did a certain way look like? Well, a certain way was like, I, I gotta be a, I gotta act a certain way because it's gonna make my mom happy or I'm gonna act a certain way because it's gonna give me the next promotion or because I, it'll make me look like a better friend or and I'm doing all these things for other people. And I'm, obviously I'm doing them for myself too, but I'm doing them for other people or because I think that's the way I need to be. And so I just never really like looked in the mirror and said, who the heck are you? And then when my sister uh, got cancer and at the same time I was going through a divorce and I have twins, my, my twins were just, just before they were five and, and they were in, in kindergarten. And, and my daughter came home and told me that her teacher told her that smoking causes cancer. And she, or, uh, she came home and she said, well, June has cancer and she's going to die because I, I was pretty honest with them. And she said, and smoking causes cancer. So can you stop smoking? And I went, Hmm, that's pretty freaking serious. So yeah. I'd heard that a hundred times in my life. I told it myself a hundred times, but I never really heard it. So I just kind of looked in the mirror and I said, all right, who do you want to be? Like, I didn't just metaphorically look in the mirror. I literally stood in front of the mirror and I stared at myself and I said out loud like 20 times, like, who are you? Who are you going to be? Like, like, why are you the way you are? Just start, start figuring it out, dude, because you're killing yourself. You're just, you're not, you're not taking care of you. And so then I said that it was okay. Even if I'm doing things for other people, if, I, if I'm being charitable or if I help somebody with a promotion or whatever, it's not for me, but it's for me, right? So I want to start doing things that make me happy and that are fulfilling to me, which is not a luxury everybody has, but I think it's a luxury we've got to try to take. Mm. And so that's kind of where it all started. 
But I wonder, you know, what makes you put one foot in front of the other and then to go to endurance, you know? I mean, it's one thing to kind of, you know what, I'll go for a walk today to mm -hmm. going across the country, you know? It, and what I'm hearing here is, and, and I think it's important to, um, to, to tell the audience as well, is mm -hmm. that it's always an evolution. It's not, usually it doesn't happen where you wake up one day and all of a sudden you just keep running like Forrest Gump and never stop. You know, it is, it is an evolution. I'm curious as to what that it looked is. like for you. So do you have any kind of a, like a superpower where you out loud or inside know Allison's got this better than anybody? Like I can do X better than anybody. Yes. Okay. So I knew I had a superpower and my superpower was I could dig myself a hole better than anybody and figure out a way to climb out of it, okay? Because that's a sabotager, that's a, I need chaos, that's a whatever, I could do that better than anybody, right? And so I said, if you're good at digging yourself a hole and get out of it, why don't you just try to do it in a way that's positive rather than negative? So what better way to dig yourself a hole? If you're a smoker and you're overweight and you're not athletic, what better way to dig a hole than to tell all, all your friends and coworkers, hey, I'm gonna go do a 5K run. And they look at me like, are you an idiot? You smoke, you're fat, you can't run. And I was like, I better figure out a way to get out of this hole that I just, so wow. I did that. And then I said, I'm gonna do a half marathon and then I'm gonna do a marathon. And I told people I'm gonna do an Ironman. And this was only months later, right? Eight or nine months later, I did an Ironman after stop stop smoking and after, you know, kind of changing my life. That's a pretty big hole to dig yourself. And, and so if you want to get out of it. So, you know, some people are really good at negative self-talk. Some people are really good at handling adversity. Some people, whatever your superpower is, I think lean into it, right? Lean into it. I, if I could digress for one second, Allison, I recently heard, I'm going to steal this from somebody. I recently heard that the human brain is wired to when we look at the negative things that we've done in life we lean hard into those things we it's like we're in that movie at all times when we think about it but when we look back at accomplishments and positive things we look at it as a way that it's like it's a third person like that's not really mm. me you know my yeah, wife's that's a really, really visceral yeah my wife's a really really good attorney right and if she does she's she's awesome and if she does something like spectacularly impactful and significant, she's like, ah, whatever. If she misses a stupid little appointment, she's like, oh, I'm the biggest loser. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm terrible. I'm such, a, I'm such an idiot. And I'm like, oh my God. Why? Because she doesn't lean into the positives. So I would say long, long answer to your question of find, I think find your superpower, whatever it is, and lean into it. That's I mean, really powerful, though. I, I think what's visceral about that is that I've never, you know, when you say superpower, I think about stuff I'm naturally good at. But digging yourself out of a hole, that makes mm -hmm. a lot more sense. That makes mm -hmm. a lot, you know, like we find ourselves in pickles. We find ourselves in places where, you know, we, we, we are tested with our resilience in a way. And you took that and mm -hmm. literally and figuratively you ran with it. I did. I did because 
that's the only thing I felt like I could do. Like I could be self I got into a, a lot of, I was in a lot of problems, right? Either self-inflicted or circumstance or whatever. And I, somehow I was able to get out of it. I'm not always mm. saying I was able to get out of it, you know, looking like, uh, you know, smelling like a rose and looking like a prince, but I was always able to get out of the bad situation that I was in. And so um, maybe, you know, um, solving my problems was the thing that I, I needed, but I, I didn't want to just be somebody who got back to zero, create a problem, get back to zero, create a problem, get back to zero. How about leaning into it and going from zero forward? Right. Mm. That was a big mind shift. Okay. It's like, this sounds like a huge mindset shift too, it, it that you've gone through. I mean, it, but, especially it, with going f further and then using right. it as a force for good. Yeah, but it's, it's no different than like if you have a fear of public speaking, right? But you know that you're willing to take risks, but you have this fear of public speaking. Well, if you know you're willing to take risks, then you go sign up for a, a Toastmasters thing or you mm -hmm. go take an improv class or you raise your hand in front of an audience of 1,500 people to ask a question. So take a risk is what you know what you do, but you've got this fear of public speaking, well, put the two together and lean into it. And maybe, maybe you can come out better on the other side. You know, it could be as simple as that. So I'm obsessed with something that I've never yep. experienced before that mm -hmm. I would love to get your perspective on. Mm -hmm. And that is the runner's high. I've never had it. I hate <laughs> running. I hate running. But I imagine that, you know, I, I heard you in another interview say that it takes something like two to three hours or something for you to kind of really get in the zone, which is a big commitment. But I'm, I'm curious, what does that feel like? And you, ha you must be addicted to it because this has become a lifestyle. So uh, do, do you do uh, meditation or yoga or anything like that? I have done. I'm not a very good meditator. I think meditation for me is dance. So I, I do okay. love movement. I became a certified to teach dance over the pandemic yeah. after not okay. ever nice. dancing really before. But, um, but yeah. that, that is my, I'm, I'm learning. It's a practice, right? I'm, I'm learning. Okay. Well, I, um, I, I have a hard time calming my brain, right? Like I, 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 I don't easily get into a period of being reflective. And I, 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 I think that, um, the, the, by the time my brain calms down, it takes a couple hours. So that's why a couple hours of running or biking, that's when it starts to kick in. Cause I feel like when your brain is uncluttered, that's when you can solve problems. That's when you can start things bubble to the surface that are important, right? When you deal with 50 things, you know, I used to tell my, my daughter who cannot say no, right? She's an overachiever. She can't say no. And I say, Oh, you know, okay. Maybe you can high wire. Okay. And maybe you can high wire on a, on a, on a bicycle and maybe you can high wire on a bicycle while you're juggling, but you can't juggle 50 balls with your eyes closed on a bicycle on a high wire, right? You got to focus in on just like a couple of things. So sure. to get me to focus in on a couple of things, it takes a couple of hours of, 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 of endurance athletics, running hard. Well, not even hard, but just running or biking because that calms my brain with you maybe dance calms your brain and allows you to focus on other things and you come out feeling refreshed some people do that with yoga some people do that with whatever but as far as the runner's high goes i literally allison i can only remember one time i ever had a runner's high what 
I only can remember one time. It was the most ridiculous thing. I'll tell you super quick. I'm doing this 50-mile run in Catalina Island, which is an island about 25 miles off of the L.A. coast. And it was the first 50-miler that I uh, had done. And I had this uh, 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 playlist in my in my headphones going. And I remember about like seven miles in, and um, uh, there's this song, I forget who sings it with this, uh, uh, was this chickadee, you better chickadee check yourself before you wreck yourself. And I'm singing <laughs> along to it, right? And, and I'm barreling down the mountain. And I, and I said to myself, oh my God, I am only gonna run 50 miles. If this thing was connected to the, to the mainland, I literally would run to New York City. I am feeling ridiculous. Like this is amazing. And I, I felt like I was floating and I'm like, oh, this is like runner's high. And I'm singing, you better chickadee check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> I was only seven miles into a 50 mile run and I caught it. Oh, I better check myself before I wreck myself. So oh my I slowed God. way, way, way down to a more manageable pace. And I just started laughing at myself like, oh, okay, that's what runner's high is. I got it. I've never had it since. Wow. <laughs> Even with... Even with biking, what do you? What is your preference? Is it biking? Is it is it running? Is it swimming? Uh, I love swimming, but it gets a little bit boring once um, once you're in the water for more than an hour or two. For me, it's kind of boring. Um, I could do a bike or running, either one. Yeah, either one. Yeah, they both is, they both feel good. Are you part of Build Your Life Resume, the BYLR group? Do you know about it? I don't. It is so up your alley. Um, so really? Build Your Life Resume is is done by Jesse Itzler, who's also an ultramarathon, ult endurance and ultramarathon mm -hmm. uh, runner. Uh, Jesse Itzler is the husband of Sarah Blakely and a, a multifaceted entrepreneur. Very, very interesting. But he's created a group of people, really large uh, global group of people that are similar to you and similar mm -hmm. to me, that they... They believe that if you're going to live a better life, you have to optimize your body, you have to optimize your mind, you have to optimize your family. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? And it is by doing good in the world, it is by pushing your body, mind, soul kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I don't know, I, you, I'm, I'm just getting the big BYLR vibes. I'm in the group, I love the group. Um, it's super supportive, but I, I'm surprised that you are not part of it. I'm sure there are some, that are like that, but a lot of people have um, uh, challenged themselves with with some really outrageous goals that you know they kind of publicly announce in this group because it is so supportive. I'm and uh, sort that down. Yeah, they I'm just go for it. it. But I also think even for your mission uh, for mm -hmm. this, I think you'd get quite an audience with it. So tell me more about your book, Cycle of Lives. The, the proceeds are going to charities and yep. cancers, which is so generous of you too. Mm -hmm. um, tell me more about it. Tell me more about, uh, about that. I could talk for a long time about writing a book because I've written a few. Um, and, you know, they're not really money makers unless you can sell a lot, a lot, a lot of books. And... So they don't make a whole lot of money. Um, most books don't even sell a hundred copies, right? Um, hmm. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And in today's world, where you know you have limited, absolute or online shelf space, 
you know, who are they going to give a book deal to? Uh, somebody like you or me? Or are they going to give the book deal to Matthew McConaughey, who's doing the Green Project? Or sure. Or they're going to give it to Michelle Obama for her. I mean, that's where that's where the money should go because those books are that's what people are interested in. But um, but I found the right publisher who um, gave me the go ahead to try to market books on my own as well as through traditional means. And um, so, it, you know, the book sold everywhere. Um, I also s sell it directly um, with organizations. I, I partner with a ton of different organizations to try to I do everything from books, uh, uh, book, book clubs to giveaways for their seminars, that kind of stuff. Um, and any money that comes in, um, each one of the 15 book participants picked a cancer focused or another nonprofit that they were really focused on and they wanted to support. So every dollar that comes in um, gets divided up equally between those uh, organizations. Now, how much is that going to be? I don't know. Um, but it's going to go on forever. And, you know, this is a project that was a lot of years in the making and I'm spending a lot of time and effort and money promoting it. Cause I think it'll, you know, I mean, look, that, 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 that there's a lot of people out there that can write a check that will make a difference way easier than, than books. Um, the proceeds from books are 10% of socks or whatever the heck people give toward, which is all, they're all great gestures. Um, but that coupled with, the mission of trying to make an impact in people, I think is a good, it's a good story to tell. So yeah, it's such um, a gift. What has the feedback yeah. been like? What has the feedback been like of people that have read it that surprised you? Um, well, this is really going to sound self-serving and apologies for doing that. But um, I, I put a lot of time in the book, right? And my, my editor, who is also a book coach, um, edited one of my other books. And she said, I'm not going to edit any more books because I'm, I'm, my coaching business is thriving. And I said, just, this one's really important to me. Can you take a look at it? Cause you get me and you'll help me edit it. And she said, yeah, I'm not really interested. And so I sent her a chapter that I thought would resonate with her. And I didn't hear back from her. And a couple of weeks later I pinged her and I said, come on now, take a look. And, she said, I did, I, I, I had to put it down. She goes, you learned how to write, didn't you? She goes, that mm. one really hit home. And I went, oh my God, that's cool. So she ended up editing the book. Um, I had a really good editor at the publishers as well. But um, I'm telling you that to soften the statement of, it's a really good book. Like it's a good book. That's the, <laughs> feedback. that's the feedback that I've been getting and it's really, it's really nice because I'm just now starting to get reviews from people I don't know. Um, you know, I've sent hundreds of books to organizations and hundreds of books to people that I know. Um, they buy signed copies and the money goes to charity or I send it to them for free or whatever. And, you know, you expect that people that you know, they're either going to read it and love it automatically or they're not going to read it because they know you as Allison, what the hell are you, you, what are you doing writing a book? Right. But if they know that you're an author, then they'll read it and they're like, Oh my God, I got to read it. Cause Allison's such a good author. So the feedback I've gotten is really been touching because, um, you know, I just did a book club for, a a, a, a cancer organization in Alaska and there was about 20 
uh, people, mostly women, mostly were going through or had gone through breast cancer. And uh, the reason that they wanted me was because the feedback they got was the book really talked to them. And it really taught them a lot. And they really could identify with the emotional journeys that these people took. And I thought to myself, these are women or people that are going through unimaginable journeys. And they were moved by the these journeys of other people. And I thought, that's kind of cool. So the feedback is good. Um, I think the stories are entertaining. Um, not They're not depressing. Some of them have some pretty depressing elements to it. But they're inspirational. It's uplifting. I think interesting. Um, I know they evoke a lot of emotion because I've had... I can't tell you how many times, Allison, I had, I had a, 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 a lady text me and she goes, I hate you. And I texted back and I'm like, why? She goes, I'm not a crier. I've cried twice already. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, that's cool, right? So that, that kind of stuff makes me feel good. Yeah, I can imagine that. What do you think your sister would think of all this, of mm-hmm. who you are today? She'd probably say, like, get over it. <laughs> no. Probably, no. Um, I, I think she'd be happy. Um, y- you know, if, um, you know, um, uh, one of the recipient organizations is Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. And uh, Lee Moffitt, I've never met him. I've never even talked to him, except for electronically. He wrote a foreword to the book. And a few of the book participants came from the Moffitt Center. I cold called them and say, hey, do you know interesting stories? And I, when I was going back and forth with him, I could tell that he was embarrassed almost that the Moffitt Cancer Center was named after him because <clears throat> it wasn't about getting his name on a cancer center when he started this thing in the 70s, uh, eight, uh, early 80s. It was about doing something meaningful in the Florida community. And they are one of the few comprehensive cancer centers in the country. And I kind of think like, it's kind of cool that he could know that his legacy is affecting so many people. And so I think maybe, maybe June will know that whatever energy she had here is still affecting people in Mm. a positive way. So I think that's a good thing. Well, it seems like it has really gripped you heart and soul and, and really, you know, creating waves and a mission to change the culture of how we grieve Mm -hmm. and understanding each other, you know, like from an empathetic perspective, what do you know that you wish other people could know? Um, I'm not going to give it away the story behind it in the book, but what I know, um, is that people don't want sympathy. They just don't want it. They don't want sympathy. You know what they want? They want a safe, caring place. Do you know? And when I say, how are you doing today, Allison? And you say, fine. I go, you know what? We have no connection. I could care less about her. And clearly she cares less about me. Right? Because fine is not how you feel. Right? Now, you might not always be able to answer the question with other than fine. But when somebody really... wants to know how you're doing and they are telling you that you have a safe place that somebody's going to care about you and they want to know how you are and you say how are you Allison and you say well let me tell you right that's what everybody wants 
And, and so that's what I know that most people don't know. <laughs> but did, let me, let's talk on that for just a minute. So, yeah. you know, what if you are feeling like garbage, but just don't feel like talking about it and fine is just easy. You know, I know there are times that we do that. And I, I've actually yeah. thought about that. There's a podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It is one of the best podcasts I've ever heard. It's called Terrible Thanks for Asking. And it is you know, a I podcast. Heard of it. Oh, yeah. it's so good. You know, but yeah. it is. What if you answered honestly to the question, how are you? And it is yeah. a, a journey about uh, grief and trauma, but in um in a human way, not in a depressing mm -hmm. or a salacious way. It's it's mm -hmm. really beautiful and so beautifully told from a storyteller's perspective. So what is the proper way to answer those questions or ask the right questions? Well, look, Allison, nobody wants to, if I say to you, how are you? And you say, well, let me tell you, you know what? I burnt the toast this morning. Yeah, oh your eyes God, are rolling back in your head too. <laughs> I'm tired of my cat. My cat woke me up again. Right. And, oh my gosh, you know what? I broke a nail and somebody was rude to me on the phone. I had to wait in line at the post. Shut up already, right? Well, right. I don't need that. So oftentimes yeah. the answer is fine. But when, somebody, when you have the ability to have a meaningful connection with somebody and you have a sense that somebody is caring about you, that mm. they want to care, that they might have some empathy, that they might give you a safe place to talk, then you know what? The answer might be, really appreciate you asking me. And frankly, I'm having such a shitty day that I really don't even want to talk about it. But it's, you know, it's not, it's not you, it's me. But I'm really glad they asked me, but I don't want to talk about it. So I'm going to ask That's you That's a fine. beautiful way. That's a great answer. Right. Yeah. That's perfect, David. You, this is like it. <laughs> yeah. That is it. That is so powerful. So how can people get in touch with you? How can people buy your book? Uh, go anywhere books are sold. Uh, most books are sold on Amazon. So you can go on Amazon and get the, the paperback or the ebook, Barnes and Noble, wherever. Aren't you doing or, an audio book too? Did I see that? I, oh my God. I just recorded that Monday and Tuesday Yay. and it was tough, man. Ooh. It was tough, not only because it's hard, but it was also a little bit emotional because I was yeah. living it. I hadn't read the book in about five or six months, and that was mostly in the proofreading and editing and all of that phase. Um, so to read it all the way, I read uh, my parts. I did. I had fifteen voiceover actors read the fifteen different people. Wow! So it's going to be a phenomenal audiobook. Phenomenal. When will it be out? I'm Probably I'm an audio another, gal. Probably another three or four weeks. It'll be a, it'll it'll be up on Audible. They're mastering it right now, so that's oh, kind of cool. Oh, that's amazing! Um, if they want a signed copy, um, uh, they can go to cycleoflives.org. So it's cycleoflives.org. Um, they can get an electronic copy, or they can buy a, a signed copy, and and then um, and then uh, you know, reason why I would suggest doing that is just because you cut out Amazon and you cut out my publisher. So now instead of four bucks to be being divided up between the organizations, now like eight or nine bucks gets divided up between the organizations. So it does raise a little bit more money. Um, yeah, that's smart. But e either way, it doesn't matter. Um, you know what? I I, um, I talked to somebody today and they said, um, I, can you send me a link to the ebook? And I said, no, I'm going to send you a, a, a free book and I'll give you a link to the ebook because when you read the book, I know you're going to want to give it to somebody. Hmm. So you can't give an ebook, really. 
right? Right. But, but you could get the book. And and so, yeah, go anywhere. Books are sold. Jump to psycholives.org. That way. is powerful. David, thank you so much for sharing your story today. And I think it's going to make a huge impact. Wow, David, you are something else. So much good in this world. And I'm so grateful for the example you set, even in the face of darkness. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being there. Thank you for opening your heart and opening the world to these conversations that are so important. Please go buy his book and buy it for others. I've linked his info in the show notes. And as for you, thank you. Thank you for being on this journey with me. I hope to always bring you interesting conversations that make you stop and think, huh, I never thought of it that way. And make a change in your own life. Hey, won't you go to your listening platform right now and leave me a review? I mean, you stayed all the way through this, uh, this podcast episode. I really value that. It would mean so much to me if you hear... Uh, if you uh, to hear or tell me what stood out to you and what will help others find me. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.